Good morning. Welcome to Grace Church, and I want to thank uh, Pastor uh, Ben and the others for inviting me to bring the word today. Um, today's sermon is from First uh, Peter, chapter one, verse thirteen to chapter two, uh, verse three, and you can find the biblical text on page one thousand fourteen. One thousand fourteen. And the title of the sermon is The Calling of a Lifetime. So let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 to chapter 2, verse 3. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God." Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its, all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. How many of you have felt attacked or discriminated for your biblical or Christian beliefs? In one of the companies that I serve as a corporate chaplain, I was having a conversation with um, a lady who is in her late 30s, and she was telling me that she was having a conversation with uh, her co-workers about relationships. This lady, she's in her late 30s, she's single, um, and she said this to her co-workers, that the day that the Lord provides with that man of God to eventually be her husband, her plan was and is to uh, maintain sexual purity until she gets married. That comment caused her to feel rejected and ridiculed by her co-workers. She chose not to do anything about it. So, in the same way, we see what happened to these people that Peter wrote the letter. 
in Asia Minor. These people were experiencing persecution, not full-fledged persecution. Uh, we don't believe that it was the policy of the state, the Rome, to persecute these people, but they were second-class citizens. So Peter wanted to encourage his readers to endure suffering and persecution by remaining faithful to God, knowing that God would vindicate them by providing the salvation he promised. So Peter is reminding them, I understand that the suffering is real. I do understand that you feel like a second-class citizen, but I want to remind you that your suffering is not forever. It's just temporal. You will be vindicated. So the point of the sermon is that our future inheritance should serve as an incentive to live holy lives here. Peter's exhortation for us is to live as the people of God amid our suffering. So I have three observations for us today. And the first one is that we need to know or to be reminded of what is our identity and hope in life. The second one is, what is the purpose of knowing our identity? And the third one is, how do we fuel that knowledge into reality? So let's begin with the first one. What is our identity and hope in life? Let me read verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. When Peter says, be sober-minded, the first thing that comes to our minds is the opposite, what it means to be drunk with alcohol, right? When you drink too much alcohol, you feel that your judgment is cloud, clouded. So Peter is saying, be the opposite. I want you to be sober-minded, thinking and in, on that hope, on that grace that will be brought to you when the Lord returns. Peter is saying that amid their suffering, the only way that they can make it and I think that's applicable to us. The only way that we can make it here is by having hope when the Lord Jesus returns. Why? Because when the Lord returns, if you're in Christ, you will not face judgment. You will not face the wrath of God. You will face what? Grace and mercy and eternal life. This hope is not simply a wish for the future, as we understand the word hope or the, the, the word hope in English, when we say, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. I hope. Like, let's cross fingers that it's not going to rain tomorrow. But the word hope in the New Testament, the word elpizo in, in Greek, as used in the New Testament, involves the idea of assurance that what is hoped for will certainly come to pass. And this is because future hope is in the New Testament, is based on something that has already happened in the past, which is the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this hope is grounded on the assurance that Christians will receive grace, not wrath, when the Lord Jesus returns. You probably may say in your mind, Armando, I think I, my name is Armando Castro, but I will never introduce myself. My name is Armando Castro. I've been a member of this church for almost a year. So um, you may say, hey, Armando, I, I think I have that hope, as it is described in the New Testament. But I want to encourage you to examine your heart. Why do I say that? 
Because this society trains us to put our hope in status, education, and money. It is ingraining us. For instance, to escape poverty, at least I was taught that way by my parents, to escape poverty, we set our hope upon education as a way out. Immigrants that live in failed countries are tempted to believe and they set their hopes upon emigrating to the United States to find peace. For a single mother, hoping to find a good man that can be a husband and a father for her child. Or a lady having difficulties conceiving sets her hope upon having a child using reproductive technologies. Or a person who is severely sick, they put their hope, they set their hope on what? Good medicine. I have a good insurance. I am in the one of the best countries in the world, the United States, high technology, have good insurance. I put my hope in my doctors and hospitals. So you need to examine your heart. Are we setting our hope in someone or something to rescue us? Thinking that once we achieve that, that person or thing, we will be happy, safe, or fulfilled. If that's the case, then people or things in what we set our hope can become functional gods. In other words, we can become idolaters without even knowing. I can be a believer, a Christian, but I put my hope, I set my hope on things or on people or on the government. Remember, we are spiritual exiles. Our identity is in Christ, and this is not our home. Whether we experience persecution or not, we won't be completely happy and satisfied in this world. Trials and tribulations will come to you, believe me. Trials and tribulations and suffering will come to you. And the question is, what is our hope? So let's make sure to place our hope in Christ alone and what he accomplished for us. He died for us for our sins, so that we can experience His forgiveness and eternal life. So, based on our identity in Him, there's a purpose for us where we live here and what is to live holy lives. And let's, let's, let's take me to the second part of this sermon, verse 14 to 16, the calling to live holy life. This is what Peter is exhorting his readers. You are a believer. You're born-again believer, born-again Christian. You're going through suffering. I understand the pain. I understand the difficulties. But I want to remind you that God is calling you to live holy lives despite the circumstances. Verse 14 to 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Obedience brothers and sisters, is a fundamental characteristic of the Christian faith. So from this premise, Peter calls his readers to be holy. And he quotes Leviticus chapter 11, verse 44, that says this, For I am the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves therefore, and be holy, for I am holy. To be holy means that Christians must conform their thinking and behavior to God's character. To be holy means to be set apart 
from the customs and values of an unbelieving pagan, pagan society like the one that we live here now. And then Peter continues to exhort in them by saying, okay, I need you to understand that God calls you to be holy. And then he says, conduct yourselves with fear. Let me read verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So since these Christians, they were Gentiles and Jews together, they believe in the Lord, had become God's children by being born again, as, Peter, as Pastor Ben preached at the beginning, verse 3, he's talking to born-again Christians. They consequently, because they're born again, they, are, they have received a new life, they consequently have a new life that is to be lived markedly different from the old one. And therefore, they have a new responsibility to live in obedience to God. So that's for us to. If I am in Christ, if I am born again, if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you are called to live differently. Peter says that God judges impartially according to their deeds. He is just and loving. So Peter calls them to conduct themselves with fear throughout their exile, especially now that they know he holds the power to judge sin. Remember that these Christians were experiencing discrimination and abuse because their Christian commitments. And they were probably tempted to go back to their sinful ways of living and not live holy lives as God commanded them. That's the temptation. I feel second-class citizen. I feel that I cannot be part of society because they see me. Pastor Ben actually preached a few weeks ago that they were considered, Christians were considered atheists because they believe in one God, not in many gods. They were saying, like, you, you just go there. We don't need you in, in, in our society. So the temptation for these Christians were to go back. But, but Peter talks about fear. What does Peter mean by fear? Fear to be punished by God? That, that's what Peter is, is talking about here? Be afraid that God is going to punish you. I don't think so. I don't believe that. I believe that Peter calls them to conduct themselves with reverence, with love, with gratitude, and awe, because they were ransomed from their futile, futile ways of living. And here comes the importance of knowing and remembering God's character and promises. Because, yes, we, we need to understand that if, in order for us to live Christian lives, we need to be reminded that, yes, God is just and He is our judge, but we also need to remember his character and promises. That helps us to live our Christian lives during our exiles. And then Peter talks about that Jesus paid the penalty of our sins. He ransomed us with his precious blood. Let's read verse 18 and 19. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from the forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Peter is reminding them that they were ransomed from their futile ways, and they were ransomed not with perishable things, 
such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. And then he quotes Isaiah 52, verse 3. That says this, because this is what the Lord says, you were sold for nothing, and you will be redeemed without silver. So here, the prophet Isaiah speaks of God's people being released from Babylon, being redeemed from the Babylonians. And, and Peter is some sort of com comparing, helping this re his readers to say, remember, the Jewish people were redeemed by God from the Babylonians. In a similar way, you guys are also redeemed. God redeemed the Jews from Babylon without silver. Now God, through His Son Jesus Christ, delivered them and delivered us from, with the blood of Christ that is an, an imperishable blood. It doesn't perish. It's, it's more than silver and gold because silver and gold are perishable things, but not His blood. So Christ's redemption has delivered them from the bondage of the sin that characterized their former way of life and that continues to be practiced all around them in pagan society. That's why the emphasis is on calling them to be holy as God is holy. These Christians had a different identity like we have a different identity. We are called to be holy. And then Peter reminds us that this was God's eternal plan. Verse 20 and 21. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus is the Son of God who always existed, but he was manifested in the flesh at a particular time in history as Christ the Savior for their sake and for our sake. Now, the question is, what is the purpose of Christ coming to this world? To bring forgiveness. Remember that the Bible says that all of us are condemned already. We are born condemned. Forget about being a good person. We are born hopeless and lost in our sins. So the way that God had in his mind to, to bring restoration to the human race is by bringing his son who came to this world to live a perfect life for us and to die on the cross, a, die, a death that we deserve, by the way, so that we can be forgiven and accepted and restored. That's why they call the gospel the good news, because it's a great deal. Knowing that we don't deserve to be with God and be reconciled with God, we have access to God because of the blood of Christ. So for Peter, the work of Christ is the reason for us to have faith and hope in God. It's like, again, reminding us, hey, I know it hurts, but if you're in Christ, what is, what is awaiting for you? is really huge. This hope, nobody and nothing can take away from you. When I was a young man in the faith, I came to Christ when I was 27 years old. And by my late 20s, 
I had two significant challenges affecting me. I was still immature in my faith. And the first was that I, I wanted to get married. And it was kind of hard to find a young lady who was a believer and compatible. And that I like. Right? It's hard. It was hard for me. And as a young believer, I was struggling with that, being tempted to go back. Because before I was a believer, it was kind of easy for me. It just simply, okay, I have 20 ladies in this room. Whom do I like the most? Okay, I like her more. And then I approach and I have a conversation. That's all. I mean, if she likes me, that's it. But as a believer, things change, right? And on top of that, my second struggle was employment. I was going through employment issues. And honestly, I felt that the Lord, I think I was mad at God, and I, and I say this with sorrow. In my ignorance and immaturity, I think I was mad at God. I felt that He didn't care for me, and I felt that He abandoned me. And I was so tempted to go back to my past, to be disobedient, and to be controlled again by my desires. But I praise God that in my ignorance and rebellion, God used a godly friend and a pastor to remind me of three things. He reminded me of the fear of God, the character of God, and the promises of God. So, church, I think that all of us need godly people around us to pray for us and to remind us of these truths while we live here as spiritual exiles. All of us here are spiritual exiles. So encouragement and prayers are what we need, especially during these difficult times. So once we know what is, once we know what is our identity in Christ, once we know what is our living hope, which is Him as well, and once we understand that we are called to be holy, now it's time to apply what we know in our relationship with others around us. Let's read verse 22 to 25. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, Peter says this, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So now, Peter shifts she shifts his exhortation from how to live rightly in a relationship with God and how to live rightly with one another in a Christian community. So he commands us to love one another earnestly. So I want you to, and I hate to do this, to be honest with you, but sometimes it's needed. I want you to look to your left and then look to your right. Okay, the person that you just <laughs> saw is your brother, is your sister. And God commands us to love one another earnestly. Earnestly. 
In verse 22, he says that obedience purifies our souls. And, and again, Pastor Penn actually mentioned that a few days ago, that honestly, in, in our society, the word obedience is like, oh, like the old times when our parents used to be you know, very stern, saying, you know, obey to me, I'm your father. And, and it sounds, some negative connotations, but honestly, in a Christian life, we are called to be obedient to the Lord. So verse 22 says that obedience purifies our souls. In other words, obedience is necessary for their sanctification and our sanctification. Remember, we're called to, be, to live holy lives, to, to be sanctified. And it is true that the Word of God sanctifies us. But also, in, 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 in the process of sanctification, is, is both ways. The Lord, through His Word, sanctifies my life, but also I need to live obedient lives so that I can be sanctified as well. And when Peter talks about love, he's not talking about the romantic love that we hear or we see in our Hollywood movies. This fussy feeling, warm feeling in our heart. He's not talking about that. He's talking about Christian love, brotherly love. What is biblical love? Biblical love is simple. It's seeking the well-being of your brother and sister. I want the well-being for my brother, for my sister. I want them to prosper. I want the best for them. That's brotherly love. What can I do to help you? That is brotherly love. How can I pray for you? That is brotherly love. Are you going through a difficult time? Let me try to do the best to help you. That is brotherly love. And it is possible to love one another earnestly because we have experienced a moral transformation that is only possible to those in the faith. Why? Because of the new birth. If you are in Christ, that imperishable seed that is the Word of God is within you, and therefore you are capable, you are able to love your brother and sister. And then Peter contrasts that perishable seed to the imperishable seed. He contrasted the quality of life that comes from perishable seed, which is human procreation, to the imperishable, which is being born again. You are born in the flesh, that means that we will die. You are born in the spirit, that means that you remain forever. If you are born in the spirit, you are born again, you are capable to love one another earnestly, as Spirit calls us. The greatest glories of humanity are quickly fading in comparison with the eternal glories achieved by Christ's suffering. Remember that. But the question is, how do you fuel that knowledge into reality? And that is my last part of my sermon. You be, please bear with me. I'm going to take another 40 minutes. That's all. <laughs> how do you fuel that knowledge into reality? How? Peter gives them and gives us Practical examples of holy, holy lives and loving our brothers and sisters earnestly. He reminds that, that holy lives don't come automatically. So if you, feel, if you think, hey, I'm in Christ and uh, I, I, this thing has to come to me naturally, it won't. I'm sorry that I'm maybe killing your joy now, but it, it won't happen. It won't happen. To love your brother and sister... You need to be intentional. You need to make the effort to love your brother and sister biblically. 
Let me read, let me read verse 1 to 3. To put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Peter tells them that it's a matter of making a decision. They must decide to put away all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander. This requires, as I said before, intentionality. These sinful behaviors don't go away just because you one day came to Christ. And remember that these sins, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envious slander, harm relationships and destroy the Christian community. We have to be very careful with that as believers. So but besides making the decisions and being intentional to put away these sinful attitudes, we need to what? To crave we need to long for the pure spiritual milk because this spiritual milk is the one that helps us to grow up into salvation. Now, the question is, what is spiritual milk? What is that? In general, theologians believe that spiritual milk is the Word of God, which is true, but a broader interpretation of the milk metaphor is confirmed in Psalm 33 from the Septuagint or Psalm 34 from our uh, Old Testament Bibles. Let me, I want to read this for you because I think, I think it's necessary to be reminded that when, when they talk about the spiritual milk, in general, is to taste the goodness of God in your life in general. Let me read verse 8, verse, chapter 33, Psalm, uh, verse 8, 9, and a few others. The angel of the Lord will encamp in a circle around the ones who fear him, and he will rescue them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who hopes in him. The righteous ones cry aloud, and the Lord heard them, and he rescued them from all of their afflictions. The Lord is near to the ones who have been broken with respect to their heart, and he will save the law in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he will rescue them from all of them. And the last verse, 23, says this, The Lord will redeem the souls of his servants, and all those who hope in him shall go not stray. So Peter takes this phrase from the Psalm 33, where David rejoices because of, he has experienced the Lord's deliverance. David praises God for his deliverance, from potential, from potential suffering at the hand of Abimelech and looks forward to the Lord's ultimate deliverance from all his enemies. Amid his trials, David experienced the goodness of the Lord. So he invited everyone to taste and see that the Lord was good. Likewise, the Christians in Asia Minor, his readers. Peter is saying to them, in the same way, David experienced the goodness of the Lord in his life, you also experienced the same goodness when you received salvation. And Peter urges them by saying, if you have in fact experienced the goodness of the Lord, then, he says, crave the pure milk by which you will grow into that salvation, into maturity. Peter's readers are to crave the Lord by adopting attitudes and behaviors that will sustain the new life they had begun in faith in Christ. 
I am persuaded, Grace Church, that we can only truly taste God's life-transforming grace when we put away attitudes and behaviors that are not consistent with the new life that we have received in Christ. If you have in your heart this, still this tendency to be deceitful, to hypocrisy, to envy, to slander, to gossip. I'm inviting you to reflect on these things and to put away these attitudes that do not belong to your new nature. These things don't belong to your new nature. We need to crave, we need to long for spiritual milk because the spiritual milk is consistent with your new nature. What is the spiritual milk that is consistent to your new nature? God himself, his goodness, his word. In conclusion, amid our trials, tribulations, and sufferings, we are called to live holy lives. We are called to live with hope, and we are called to create the spiritual milk that is God himself and his goodness. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your church, for your salvation. We pray that your Holy Spirit moves us to be obedient to you, to live holy lives, to be quick to repent, to believe in your promises, and to love one another earnestly. I also pray for those friends who are here who don't know you. I pray that you manifest yourself and reveal to them in powerful ways so they can also taste and see that you are good. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.